Welcome to the Heart to Biz podcast, the show for people to share their heart behind what they do. Be reminded why you started and discover what keeps you going. Here's Laurel and Shasta. Hi, my name is Shasta. And I'm Laurel. On this episode, we have Robin from the Sacramento LGBT Community Center, and she's going to be sharing her heart behind everything that she does there and why she got started. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, the other day when we were talking, was going over, I realized how much different programs your uh, your center is doing. Um, you know, I remember back back in the day, there wasn't really all that much uh, available, like a bookstore, a little bit of information, and you guys have really expanded to help young people. Um, and I, I want to uh, go through all that in a minute, but I want to find out about you, Robin, and how you got, I mean, how did you get into this work? It's not like you're going to get rich and famous doing this, right? How did you get into this? Why are you doing this? Talk to me. Well, my journey is long and circuitous as most good stories are, uh, but I have a true motto, which is to whom much is given, much is expected. And that was um, really born out because I was uh, a young girl who got pregnant as a teenager. So um, I got pregnant with my daughter when I was 15 and we had as a family so much outpouring of love and support that it really cemented in me and as a young age that it, it's super important to pay it forward. So the first crib that my daughter slept in was purchased by my mom's Sunday school class. And, you know, all of the, the really formative, important parts of our lives, we've had people who've shown up and just done amazing things for me and my family. And so every single milestone in my career has been like, I should be doing more for people. I should say yes to those things. So how I got here uh, was really about saying yes. I spent two years as the executive director of Wind Youth Services, and I was also getting my doctorate at the time and realized during that 24 months of pure insanity that being an executive director and being a full-time doctoral candidate just weren't something that could continue to live in the same space. And I was never going to finish my doctorate if I was an executive director. So I took time off from work and my colleagues from the LGBT Community Center knew that I was going to be off and reached out to me and said, hey, Robin, um, we know you've got a little bit of time on your hands. Could you come out and help us with our housing programs? And my uh, heart answer was absolutely not. I need to finish my dissertation. <laughs> but um, my head answer and, and really what has driven me my whole life was, they need help, you should do it. So um, I followed that passion and accepted the position um, at the center at the time as the director of housing services. And since then have gotten a promotion um, to be the deputy chief program officer. And I'm in charge of uh, youth programs, housing programs, and also economic justice. What's it like dealing with like the, the constant change of like, I, I work for a youth group. I'm one of the youth leaders and like, I'm still in my early twenties, but just keeping up with the youth and their new language and all these new concepts, how do you keep up with it? 
Well, one of the things that you noted is we, a strategy is to hire a young person. So we definitely, (laughs) all of our advocates are uh, peers, um, people with lived experience or uh, people in the age group of the young folks that we serve. So I don't remotely try to keep up. I do, you know, there are some things that are important to me. Like I, I know what TikTok is. I am not a TikToker, but knowing what it is is very important. That's a start. That's a start. Right, right. So um, also I, I've already, you know, given up the goods. I was a young mom. So I've always kind of had to keep up with the the new trends uh, in order to stay relevant to my kids. <laughs> so um, I, I do kind of make a practice of, you know, knowing what the music is uh, right now. And if I hear a term, I constantly am a learner. So that sort of thing just sort of, it feeds that desire in me to know more things. So I generally don't let lingo pass me by. I'm like, whoa, wait, what does that mean? Also, there's this thing called the Urban Dictionary. Super helpful. There's new terms every single day. (laughs) True facts. So kind of give us an overview of what um, SAC Center can provide, what it does provide, and then we'll go into like how people can support that. Sure. So um, you are absolutely right uh, in the top of the show to say that what we're doing is exponentially greater than what, where we started. Um, we are primarily a community center. So it is our hope and, and dream that anytime there is a person, whether they are young or old uh, or feel young or old, they can come to us um, to get their needs met. So we do have drop-in and respite space available for both transitional age youth, uh, adolescent youth, and adults. And those uh, respite times have been changing a little bit what with COVID. So I always recommend folks checking us out on the website at saccenter.org or for people who are experiencing homelessness, you can check it out on the doorway because that's where we also keep the hours that we're open. Um, But generally speaking, we're open seven days a week for folks to walk in to receive some sort of service or support. Uh, Additionally, we have lots of virtual services that have cropped up through COVID um, and we're migrating slowly back into in-person services. But I will say that many of our groups are still meeting online and the times and dates of those are also listed online as well as mental health counseling, which is a relatively new service of the, the center within the last few years. And so members of the community and people who have just felt marginalized or not really supported by current healthcare systems, if you need mental health support, we have that available in person now and online. We also, in our health programs, have a variety of testing, uh, HIV, STI, um, and other services um, that are available through testing either in person or as a at-home kit which is another cool thing because sometimes people are feeling very like they want to maintain their privacy or anonymity in which case, in which case they don't have to come into the center. They can order an an at home kit. We also have harm reduction supplies. So fentanyl strips, Narcan. So people who need safer use supplies, they can order those online or walk into our centers to pick up those kits. And then um, the programs that I am in charge of are youth programs. We have fantastic programming. And I, I speak about that really humbly, but it is pretty amazing. There's something almost every day that's happening through our youth programs. And it's uh, lots of hands-on activities like skill building things or support group things or opportunities for um, folks to convene and learn. Um, we had a drag makeup um, workshop just 
last week. So literally it's, it's just about everything you can imagine. Additionally, uh, through youth programs, we also have um, the Q-Spot, which has fantastic staff uh, and always, there's always food available or clothing. So if folks come in and they have immediate needs, we can meet those right away. And then with our housing programs, we have the 90-day emergency shelter, which is uh, a really a, an excellent resource for the community. We found um, and did a study that there was a huge gap for folks who are LGBTQ in the community and other marginalized folks. There just weren't enough places um, for emergency shelter. So we have a 14-bed shelter. And also we have an emergency housing program. So if somebody is like in between spots or you know one night has a falling out with their parents and needs some place to sleep, we try really hard to make sure that nobody has to spend a single night on the street. So all of that information is also available on our website under the housing tab. And if somebody needs to get on our waiting list or contact a housing professional, they can do that through that inquiry form there. And we have another really fabulous program that includes the community called our Host Homes program. And Host Homes basically is exactly what it sounds like. A host opens up their home and a youth moves in with them for four to six months. And basically they do skill building uh, activities and both the host and the youth have a case manager. So we work to really make sure that those services are supported. Um, and so that, that's like the broad stroke of services that we have. And then we have so much more. <laughs> now you guys have a lot, lot, lot going on, you know, way more than when I was a kid, there was a cup place you could have a cup of coffee and some sofas and you could talk to somebody when you were, you know, um, and there were, you know, it was like an underground thing going, but not much formal programming. So you guys have really built that up. And now I know that you guys do a lot with grants and stuff like that, right? Um, but is, do you have other programs where the community can support, um, you know, and maybe do some stuff with you? Absolutely. So Laurel, we've got a couple really fantastic opportunities for the community coming up here in the next few months. So um, you see this lovely edifice behind me. This is our new facility at 1015 20th Street. And when we moved in a few years ago, we also kicked off our capital campaign to be able to renovate the building and also pay for it. Uh, so there we are launching the public face of our capital campaign in just a few weeks on the 26th of this month. And so if somebody is interested in um, being involved in you know, the foundation of our organization, literally our building, that's the best way to do so. And then the big day of giving, which is a Sacramento regional event happening the first Tuesday in May this year, is another opportunity if people are interested in supporting our programs. So our programs that we have available um, oftentimes have a gap in funding between what is contractually paid to us from our government contracts. It's on purpose. They, they on purpose don't pay for the whole thing. So we, we do need supporters to fill in those gaps. And Big Day of Giving is an awesome way to do that. And uh, we have a really aggressive and amazing goal this year of $125,000 of unrestricted funding. So we're hoping that the community responds for Big Day of Giving as well. Awesome. What's it like seeing the transition that Laurel was talking about where you know, 20 years ago, not having many resources, and then now being able to have something like your community in Sacramento, what does that feel like to you? So it's interesting that you um, bring up that feelings piece of it, because it's sort of um, a give and take, right? It's 
a necessity to have these services. So it's almost a little bit bittersweet and sad that they're needed. Um, but it is amazing that we are able to be able, you know, that we can convene the not only staff, we have an amazing group of folks who put their heart out there every single day to do this work. And as we've already talked about, you're not getting rich doing it. So it's really amazing that people continue to be philanthropic even in their workspaces. Um, but then the, the sad part of it, it is as far as we've come as a society, uh, we still have a lot of space uh, to grow and learn, um, particularly around compassion and inclusivity and equity. So it's super important that the center exists. Um, another program that we have available that I didn't highlight is our training and advocacy department. And they do an amazing job of uh, working with other community-based organizations, other government entities, educational institutions to train their staff about equity and inclusion to make sure that the people that they serve feel safe in their spaces. So uh, again, we have lots of really fantastic offerings here and services here that I am grateful exist for the people that we serve. But also it is a little bittersweet because those services are vitally necessary, uh, which means you know we still aren't where exactly where we need to be as a society in order for everyone to feel safe and affirmed. I know what you mean. I mean, I remember as a young person having young people stay on my couch because their parents had thrown them out and it's still happening. That's right. Right, where they were beat up because of something or not safe. And it still happens. And it's, I'm glad that we are better at trying to take care of it. But now it seems like the problem is even getting more like, you know, drugs are more of a problem than they were 40 years ago. You know, housing is, you know, homelessness is more of a problem. Um, so how do you, I mean, every day go to work, um, trying to keep, you know, there's a, you, you, yeah, I know you're, oriented towards helping but sometimes it's kind of seems like oh my god you know some you know somebody who should know better doesn't mm -hmm. how do you keep that together i mean how, what do you do to feed your own soul to be able to give more so um that's a multi-part question and, and i want to start by saying yes it is we are not perfect people we are uh, people so every day is not a good day. Um, I will also say that the pandemic has really doubled down on that and made the not good days that much more complicated because doing service oriented work in a time where everybody is scared, depressed, sick, it, it's, it's really, really challenging. So again, kudos to the staff at the center who continue to show up with a great attitude and a smile on their face heck, just show up because gosh, that, that part has been um, really hard at some times of the year. But uh, how we do it is a combination of things. And part of it is professional development. So we are pretty intentional around um, making sure that mindfulness uh, and in turn gratefulness is a, a part of our regular practice. So we do check-ins and the majority of our meetings to help ground us and help us stay focused and oriented toward what our goals are. Um, and then personally, I have um, developed a, a pretty orchestrated um, practice of gratitude that I do every single day before I leave my bed. And that helps oftentimes because on the days that I'm feeling, let's say, less than chipper, 
it really helps to put my mind in a right place uh, toward all of the, the wonderful aspects of my life that may go unnoticed if I'm not being super intentional. Like with all the really sad news that was happening around COVID, particularly COVID deaths, I am still alive. That is a win because in some people's cases, it, it didn't happen that way. And I will also say that um, you know, being employed is also something that is, is to be appreciated. And with our economic justice program, which is another program that I am in charge of, it really helps me to stay grounded and centered about what people need at work. And it, it gives me an opportunity to talk with employers authentically. And honestly, if I, I can be candid, because it's super important for employers to hear what people need in order to be successful. So um, those are the ways that, that really we keep showing up. And I have an amazing tribe. I have an amazing tribe of people who um, continue to buoy me um, and you know, offer help. We had a professional clothes shopping day just recently. And um, I did a quick view of our inventory and we didn't have everything that I needed. And I put a a quick note out to my circle and I had everything that I needed in one or two stops. And so it is that level of responsiveness about community that always continues to help us move along because right when we start to flag or feel sad or, or like we can't go on, somebody comes along and does something amazing. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. We can, you know, we can do this program or we can have this resource. So, um, it, it helps to, to build great relationships. And you know, in every space that you're talking about too, like there's always misconceptions, right? Like Laurel as a cash home buyer, people have misconceptions about that. And like, as you're where you're serving right now, you have the responsibility to, you know, really dive in deep to those misconceptions and be like, wait, wait, wait. So what would you say has been like the, the biggest one that you've had to deal with over the years? It's in interesting your that, that you say that because um, we've all been working on our uh, individual program elevator speeches, and, and I did mine for economic justice today. And um, as I was getting feedback from my colleagues, uh, one of them raised up the myth of the fact that the gays always are happy and have fantastic jobs <laughs> because of, um, <laughs> what is that show? The something in grace, uh, will and grace. Will and Grace. So apparently because Will and Grace all had it, you know, locked in and, and on TV and that was the characters that were written. Everybody has it that great. Well, you know, the statistics really is that about 65% of the people who identify as LGBTQ during the pandemic either lost their job or had a reduction in hours. So like those are some of the myths that we have to dispel that everybody's not gainfully employed. We do have to do some work intentionally around helping the community have a livable wage and have economic justice. I think some of the other things that we talked about or that Laurel alluded to were things like the uh, homelessness, right? Everybody wants to solve homelessness. Nobody wants a homeless shelter in their neighborhood. So like where are people supposed to live? if in fact they can't live with you. So really dispelling the myth of what does it mean to have a homeless shelter in your community? And how does it, um, what, what sort of supports and program orientation do we have to create to make sure that people feel safe, people feel supported, and, and we know that we have um, 
demonstrated track records of success about what things that work. And so really helping the community to be able to understand how they can partner and um, be good stewards of what they've been given. And that, that part's hard, right? Like when you buy a house, you, you don't realize that that's not only just a financial responsibility for yourself, but really you're a part of a larger community and you have an obligation to make sure that that community is everything that it could be and not just, you know, wealthy, not just pristine parks, not just great amenities, but you have to be neighborly. That's super important in a community. And being a neighbor means sometimes you have to extend your hand and you have to, to open your door and we used to have like, you know, lots of little euphemisms about giving somebody a cup of sugar. And in most cases, if you ask someone who was a homeowner, hey, if your neighbor came and knocked on the door and asked you for a cup of sugar, would you say yes? Most people would say yes. Um, if they answered their front door, you know, everybody's got a ring camera now. So they'll know you're coming from down the, from the end of the driveway. But the point of the matter is most people would be neighborly in that way. Well, the new form of giving someone a cup of sugar is actually making space for all of the people in our community to have some place to live. And so that's another myth that we need to dispel that every person who is experiencing homelessness is harmful or that every person who's experiencing homelessness has a substance abuse um, problem. And that's not to say that, that some don't, but the reality is if I was in that situation, I can't say that I wouldn't want to turn to um, something that made me feel better and wouldn't make me go crazy. There, the, there are, it has been multiple studies shown that people who are experiencing homelessness have shorter lives. That's just because the stress and the strain and literally the physicality of that existence makes, it kills you faster. So that's, that kind of stress might call for some sort of support. So just understanding like the cut and dry um, statistics about it sometimes does help people to understand that maybe we need to make a little space. Maybe it's not going to be so bad to have a community center in my, my neighborhood, neighborhood, or maybe it's not so bad to have a shelter. And realizing that it is a human right that people have some place to live. And every person wasn't afforded the same sort of economic and educational advantages to be able to afford to live in really great communities. And it's not their fault. They weren't lazy or that they didn't just you know, not make any effort in their life. They literally were cut out of opportunities based on where they were reared because they didn't have the school or they didn't have the support or they didn't have the information to get to where everyone else is, right? I'm almost 50 years old and I just started investing in the stock market because I didn't feel confident. I, and, and that was because I didn't have the information. It's not because I'm dumb. I almost have a doctorate. I'm, I'm pretty smart, but I just started investing in the stock market because I didn't have the information. So if using that as an example, lots of people don't have everything that they need. And I'm sure Laurel, you encounter lots of folks who in their homeowner journey didn't know some things and led them to have to introduce themselves to you. So it's, a, a, it's not an uncommon thing that a lack of knowledge has, leads us into certain circumstances. And oftentimes that includes homelessness. You know, it's not just even a lack of knowledge. You know, I don't know. I used to live my life from, but for the grace of God go I, right? Um, stuff happens to people, mental illness, depression, death of a spouse. Uh, I've seen people, you know, I, I'm writing a book now for hoarders. 
And it's a mental illness, right? And it isolates people and it gives people less choices. And there's a lot of things. I mean, when you're talking about community, when you own a home, you have a responsibility to the community. Well, you know, I think we've gotten away from that in some ways. We used to care about our neighbors, check on our neighbors, right? Now, you know, uh, if you live someplace where you know your neighbors, you kind of are a few and far between. You're like the anomaly. And we stopped being feeling responsible for our neighbors. And I was at the state park this weekend and they were talking about how people aren't volunteering anymore to help at the, to preserve our history or this and that. And they used to have lots and lots of people volunteering and now almost no one is volunteering. And I think it's kind of dominoing through a lot of things. And until, and unless we remember you know, we do, we are responsible to our neighbors, right? Yeah, and, I agree. And we're not all the same. I mean, everyone, if we just know that most of us have a great heart, and if we can just talk to each other civilly about that and let other people know the experience of it. I mean, I know, yes, I even think drug abuse and substance abuse is a medical problem. And therefore, it's a human right to have the um, ability to get yourself sorted out. I mean, I, I remember my dad used to say, you know, sometimes you got to take and give a man a hand up and tell him the truth, get him straightened out, and then send him back to do his, you know, his God-given duty to his family. But until until the guy can see it and he's, you know, drinking too much, you got to get him sobered up first, right? I think we all kind of got to remember that too. Well, absolutely. There's this notion of someone pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. But if you forget the fact that everybody doesn't have bootstraps or everybody doesn't have the physical strength to pull themselves up, then then it, it is definitely shines a brighter light on a lack of equity. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If we start talking about lack of access, just based on geography, just based on socioeconomic status, just based on where you grew up, so many people have compounding disadvantages that it is impossible for them to be able to be as successful as others are just based on the numbers. But if you talk about even um, substance abuse, right? Like there aren't enough spots in treatment centers for everybody who needs it. So in the event that somebody raised their hand and said, hey, you know, I'd like to get clean. There's not any place for them to go sometimes. So then how do you how do you fault that person for falling back into a habit? Because we didn't do anything as a society to be able to support that decision in that moment for them to make a change in their life. And I my my doctorate's in education and, and I, I just really have some strong feelings about how our educational system is really the cornerstone problem to all of these other things. But really if we talk about neighborhoods, right? Like property taxes is what makes communities. That's how roads get fixed. That's where the money comes from to build new schools. That's where, you know, how we decide to renovate or upgrade parks. All of that comes from property taxes. So, so if you live in a super nice neighborhood and pay a lot of money in property taxes, then you have super nice things, but you can't Le uh, like alleviate the knowledge that everybody doesn't pay the same thing you do. So their access to resources is diminished. 
Also, our lack of commitment to affordable housing is shameful. And I, I don't really wag my finger at people very often, but it really has been shameful. The, the reality is if you only build houses that certain people in our population can afford, then there's nowhere for anywhere those other people to live. And we have done that in many, many cases. And Laurel, you and I talked about it earlier about the fact that it's super expensive to build low-income houses. And so somebody's got to do something about that. I mean, we can't even start. It's a hundred grand to even start, but that's not talking about the land cost. That's the permits and the utilities. And how, how do I, and you know, how do I build a house somebody can afford, right? Right. And people don't want affordable housing in their neighborhood. And the ADUs, well, great, but then somebody's got to have the ADU in their backyard, right? Um, and if you think about it, if somebody's homeless, say, all right, somebody had a rental, they were paying $1,200 a month rent. Somebody else realizes that that house has gone up in value and the rents could be $2,500. So they evict that person who now can't find a place for 1200 bucks. Now they're living on the street. They got no bathrooms. They got no clothes. I mean, how does one get a, it's people say, well, get a job. How do you get a job when you don't have the bank? You don't even have an address. You, you know, let, 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 let us just say that it's all a domino and it's all interweaved. And if we can just bring our heart as well as our brains to some of these problems, we could have a little compassion and start to think in a better way. And, you know, I myself have a lot of ideas because there's certain properties that are, you know, not being used very well that could be turned into something that could be very helpful. And um, I'm hoping that um, uh, some of our politicians are starting to talk about that, but I think we all have to be talking about that, which is one of the reasons why I love having you on the show. Because, <laughs> you, you know, everything from economic justice to real justice, by the way, right? You know, if you make somebody a felon for abusing something, then, then again, more on, you know, you're piling on, piling on. We got to think of better ways to do this stuff. And um, again, you know, you're right. I see a lot of things where not everybody's the same and not everybody has the same resources, the same ability to deal with things. Not everybody should own a home. Not everybody wants to or can, right? Um, and I think we got to have a lot more alternatives and a lot more than, you know, three bedroom, two bath, white picket fence. Those are the only important people, right? right. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, let, let's, let's chat just for a minute about the fact that there are different types of jobs that pay different wages. And so people who work in many of those lower wage paying jobs are really vital to our community because they do a lot of the work that folks who get paid more money rely on to be there to be successful. I know lots of very well people, well-paid people who start, stop at Starbucks first thing in the morning. And the people who work at Starbucks, right Chasta? Most of the people who stop at Starbucks in the morning don't get paid the same thing who work people who work at Starbucks. So shouldn't the people who work at Starbucks have someplace to live? Like that just seems reasonable. And when you humanitize it like that, like what? My barista is homeless? Hold on, let's get this fixed, right? So all of a sudden- When we learned about grocery store 
very similar. Mm-hmm. Home health care people, right? right. People child care our elderly, mm-hmm. health care workers, um, drivers, delivery people. I mean, um, we're always wanting our services cheaper and cheaper, but people provide that. That's right. Or are we going to are we going to make everything uh, automated as much as possible? Then there's not as many jobs for people. Right. It's again, all interrelated. Right. And it takes intelligence and heart to solve these problems. And I'm so happy that we have people like you who are attacking these problems. And, you know, I know you're yeah, you guys spent a lot of your time writing grant uh, requests for grants and tr- getting, you know, trying to get the community to get on board with what what the needs are. And uh, we're just grateful that you are the one sitting there hitting that gong, you know. And if we can get you something louder, we will. Well, I definitely appreciate that. I I do want to continue to raise up the amazing work of our development department. They work really hard to make sure that the community has access to our messaging around our success stories and the work that we're doing to raise up the need in a really tangible way. And and I do want to tell everyone, if you're not a Facebook user, maybe you're a Twitter user. If you're not a Twitter user, maybe you're an Instagram user. If you have social media, please connect with us because that is a great way to be able to receive our messages. And then we do have an old fashioned newsletter. So it does come out via email and you can get connected with that too on our website, which is saccenter.org. So certainly please connect with us to ensure the fact that you get regular updates because Jason, who is our marketing and communications manager, does an amazing job of making sure that weekly those things go out. We are not that kind of lax nonprofit that doesn't communicate well with our constituents. We send lots of information. <laughs> so if we have your email address, you know what's going on with us. <laughs> It's great. We're so happy that you joined us on Heart to Biz today. And we hope that anyone who's listening right now or watching will look into it more and see how they can get involved and help and, and learn more so they can take that same heart and apply it to their industry so we can continue um, to make an impact. So thank you so much for joining us. And please join us next Thursday for a brand new episode of Heart to Biz, where we take a look at another business professional's heart. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening to the Heart to Biz podcast. For more information on past and upcoming episodes, please visit heart2biz.com.